Our next scripture is from Mark chapter 15, and I'm going to read through uh, most of Mark chapter 15 as we hear this story. Very, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to be Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed them over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and said, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, this woman had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. I want to just share some reflections from this passage as we hear these uh, reminders of the story that we celebrate on Good Friday, that we remember on Good Friday, the uh, day when Jesus gave up his life for us is what we're, we're remembering and commemorating today. Uh, the first thing I guess I want to point out at the beginning of the passage, 
we see that Jerusalem's religious leaders and Pilate see Jesus as an obstacle to getting what they want. The uh, leaders of the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, they make their plans, and their whole goal in this passage is how can we eliminate the threat that Jesus is to our power. Pilate, meanwhile, sees Jesus as a threat to the peace of the city. Uh, he sees this whole problem of Jesus as something that he has to deal with. Jesus is not seen as, obviously, he's not seen as the Messiah. He's not seen as the one that God has sent. Instead, he's the one who's standing in the way of Pilate and the religious leaders getting what they want. And I guess one thing that, that I'm reminded of as I look at this passage is it's important to be thinking about how do I see Jesus? Jesus in my life, is he keeping me from doing things that I want to do, but I'm okay with that because I know it's how I'm going to get to heaven someday? Uh, Jesus in my life, is he a means to an end? He makes me a better person, so I'll, I'll use him that way. And people know that if I believe in him and I have a relationship with him, that they can trust me and that I'm generally a good person. Uh, anytime that I'm looking at Jesus and not coming to Jesus and saying, whatever you want for me, bring that to me. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me in your word. Help me to be faithful to you no matter what. I am at risk of putting myself in the position that we find the religious leaders and Pilate in this passage. Mark doesn't have any sympathy for Pilate, really. There's in some of the other Gospels, you see that there's some conflict going on in Pilate. But here, Pilate very starkly just wants to get rid of this problem. The other Gospels do point out to us that Pilate, uh, trying to satisfy the crowd, and Mark kind of gives you a hint of this but doesn't clarify it, um, Pilate has Jesus severely beaten, hopeful, hoping that that will satisfy everyone. He won't have to crucify him, so he has him severely beaten. It doesn't satisfy the crowd, and he's, he's then led eventually to crucify him. If you put yourself in the position where you're not listening for Jesus and what he wants, you will find yourself making tremendous sacrifices, tremendous compromises that you will deeply regret. It's when Jesus is guiding and leading and speaking to me out of the truth of his word that I'm kept from those mistakes. Something uh, specific to Mark, other Gospels mention Simon of Cyrene. Mark's the only one who mentions Simon's children, Alexander and Rufus. We don't know anything about Alexander and Rufus. Paul talks about a, a leader in a church named Rufus, and we could maybe say, well, um, there were probably a lot of Rufuses back then, but possibly maybe there's a connection there. But one thing that is probably pretty clear is that Mark doesn't bring up those names if they don't mean something to the majority of people who are reading this book, because uh, there's really no reason to say, oh, Simon of Cyrene, oh, here's his two sons who aren't involved in the passage unless Alexander and Rufus and probably Simon of Cyrene have become uh, connected to the church. So generally speaking, I think it's probably a safe conclusion to say that Simon of Cyrene came to faith after this experience of carrying Jesus' cross. It, it's a moment, too, where likely Mark and the other gospel writers are indicating that a Gentile was brought to faith. Cyrene is an area full of Gentiles. He could be a Jew who's living in Cyrene. He's come back to his, uh, Jerusalem for the Passover, so we don't know that for sure. But the indication of saying, oh, he's from Cyrene, may be an indication to say, oh, this is a Gentile believer who then came to faith. And I think that's a beautiful thing to remember in this passage. Everyone who's got all the scriptures 
And they should know exactly who Jesus is because they have the scriptures in front of them. They miss it. <laughs> but this Gentile who the Romans just grabbed off the street and said, hey, carry this guy's cross, carry this convicted criminal's cross, uh, pick up what he can't carry because he's beaten so severely he can't do it, comes to faith when he sees Jesus' sacrifice. He sees Jesus uh, and the way that he is approaching this moment of his life. It's something that led to faith for him and for his children. I think that's probably an indication we're supposed to get from Mark. Mark, in this passage, gives us basically two people that are there for Jesus. Simon of Cyrene and the women disciples. They're the only people who are there. And they're both people that the world around would have said, uh, that's not who the Messiah should be choosing to lead his movement. When it comes down to it and the Messiah is backed into a corner, he'll have powerful soldiers and influential people on his side. But when Jesus is, is at his last moments, when Jesus is abandoned, who's there for him? It's this Gentile that the Romans pulled off the street and made carry his cross, and the women disciples. And so I think one of the things that we need to remember is that Jesus doesn't need our power, riches, and influence. Jesus needs our availability to be there with him, suffering and dying where he's suffering and dying in the world giving up everything we have to be faithful to him. And that's a tough call. That's a tough place to be in because a lot of times you can feel like, well, it's off. It's, you know, things are tight, Jesus, so I feel like it's a pretty good place for me to be that I give 10% of what I have. Uh, you know, life is stressful, Jesus, but I'm in ministry. I'm a pastor, so I know I have to be doing, I, I know everything. You must be cool with what, I, with what I'm offering to you. You must feel pretty good about having me on your side, right? These are all things that you could maybe find yourself feeling in these moments. But this passage challenges us that Jesus isn't saying, that Jesus isn't surrounded at this moment of death by people who have it all together and people who are, you know, checking all the boxes that Christians should check. He's, he's surrounded by people who are just there to love and be with him, who are willing to be in the incredibly messy, painful, bloody moments and again, we're challenged, as we've been challenged the last couple of weeks, to say, is that who we are? Is that where we find ourselves? And uh, to not just settle for saying, well, probably because I'm a good person, you know. <laughs> he challenges us some more to that. What stood out for me most in this passage as I read it and thought about it this week is the reaction of the centurion. I don't know if anyone, if it struck anyone today, maybe it did or maybe it didn't, but I, I can kind of bring it out for you. Isn't it interesting that everything that happens in here uh, in this passage goes on, and the centurion's conclusion is, surely this man was the Son of God. The centurion is intimately aware of the power of the Roman Empire. He is an agent of the power of the Roman Empire, and the power of the Roman Empire has just brought this person, oppressed this person, ground their boot into the face of this person, and put this person to death, and in that moment, the centurion looks at Jesus and says, this person must be the Son of God. Um, there, it isn't clear as to why he comes to that conclusion. In some of the other Gospels, we have stories of earthquakes. And if there was an earthquake here, you might say, oh, the, the centurion realized, all right, this guy's pretty special. But the only thing that Mark tells us is that there's darkness that came over the land, 
and that the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And specifically, what he says about the centurion is, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. I'd like to suggest to you that Mark in this moment is speaking to first century Christians who are giving up their lives for faith in Jesus. Who are dying because they're not willing to say Caesar is God, they're only willing to say that Jesus is God. Who are making sacrifices of, of community influence and riches because of their faithfulness to Jesus. Who are willing to stand up to a culture around them that has different values and different morals and say, but I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to love him and love others and, and live in the way that he's called me to live and be faithful to his way and are, are losing everything because of it. And that Mark in this moment is saying, when they see how you die, that's how they'll know that he's the son of God. And I think for Mark's readers, that was probably really poignant to say, I want to see those around me who are rejecting Jesus, maybe who are the symbol and image of the Roman Empire that's oppressing us. I want to see them brought to saving faith because they see how we are willing to go to death with Jesus. Who knows what it was for the centurion? I don't know if it was the darkness that came over the land. I don't know if it was, it was earthquakes. I don't know if it was Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. I don't know if Je it was Jesus turning to the thief and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the last thing that Mark tells us that Jesus says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> it is a bleak moment. But in the bleakness, in the despair, in the darkness, the centurion sees God present. He sees God and God's love present. Can I remind you that there are people all around us, living in that darkness, living in that bleakness, living in that difficult place, who need to know that God is there, who need to know that the Son of God has revealed his love to them. And the only way they're going to do that is when they see how we die. And, I, and thankfully, we're not in a place, <laughs> we're not in a country where most of the time we're going to be laying down our lives physically for our faith, but people are going to see how we're laying down our lives in a whole bunch of different ways. How we're willing to sacrifice our time, willing to sacrifice our energy, our love. How we're willing to go places that other people won't go and do things other people won't do. And, and, and reach out to people that other people have crossed off. It's when they see how Christians pick up their cross and follow Jesus and die that people recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's the message that Mark gives us in this passage. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we've had a chance to reflect on who you are and what you've done for us. Um, it is incredible to think that God would become a human being and allow human beings to punch him, beat him, spit on him, and mock him. So much of this passage is people humiliating and mocking and making fun of the Son of God as he dies. So much of it. These are not people who are deserving of your love. These are not people who are deserving of the sacrifice and the blood of the Son of God offered on their behalf. And yet Jesus does not speak a word against them. Instead, we know, Luke tells us, that he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And because of how he dies, because of the love that he shows and his faithfulness to the call of the Father, his place on his life to go to the place of darkness and death and despair on, on behalf of his people, the centurion is forced to conclude this man was the Son of God. And Lord, we want to speak that message to those around us. I want to speak that message. Show me where I've been only going half-heartedly, where I've taken half measures to follow you and help me to be able to go all the way, to be able to make whatever sacrifice it takes to lay down my life for you. Lead us in those places as a church. Don't let us be content with where we are and, and happy with all we have, but show us, Lord, where in this community, in this world, we can climb up on that cross with you, hang there with you, be willing to experience the pain and the suffering that you experience. As Paul says in Colossians, I fill up what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of those that he loves. May we do that, Jesus. Show us how to embrace this moment of sacrifice and love with you. And Lord, help us to live in that moment with you.